Hello, and welcome back to the Late Night Book Nook. I'm your host, Monazo. And I'm your host, Harshita. And we are back with a brand new episode this week. And again, in this episode, we will not be having a late night spotlight because we wanted to dedicate an entire episode to celebrating Black History Month and its significance. Uh, Today, we'll be discussing some prominent Black authors from the past and present and how they have shaped literature over time. But before we begin, I wanted to kind of go over a brief history of Black History Month, um, especially from its origin to where it is today. National Black History Month has its origins in 1915, when historian and author Dr. Carter G. Woodson founded what is known today as the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. Um, And in 1976, President Gerald Ford officially recognized Black History Month and called upon the public to, quote, seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of Black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. And since then, every U.S. president has designated February as Black History Month and endorsed a specific theme. And this year's theme in 2023 is Black Resistance, which explores how African-Americans have resisted historic and ongoing oppression in all forms, especially the racial terrorism of lynching and police killings since the nation's earliest days. So for today's episode, Hershita has actually cultivated a list of authors that we'll be going through um, in different eras. And we'll be and we will both be discussing the impact they have made within not only their time period, but throughout the years. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll let Hershita take it over from here. Yeah, so we wanted to uh, see how Black literature and its themes evolved over time. And so the timeline that we're following begins at the onset of the American Revolution and it moves towards the 21st century. So we've cultivated the list um, pretty, we had to narrow it down because there is so, when we were doing the research, there are so many significant Black authors that really, really shaped not only literature, but just history, American history in general to what it is today but we had to obviously pick and choose so we chose some uh these various authors um because we knew most of them and also they're just like figures that you might have heard of but they're not limited obviously so we wanted to still educate ourselves and of course you guys too so we will have all the research that we did with the links and the resources in the description box um of this podcast as well as we'll make sure to put it on our socials as well. And you'll also find a list of book recommendations by Black authors that we put together. That'll also be in the description box. So if you want to read any books um, by Black authors, again, it doesn't have to be just the month of February that you're reading uh, um, books by Black authors or any, uh, any person of color in particular. Please read diversely throughout the entire year. We highly encourage it. We want you to. So we made this list for you guys and we'll put it in the description box below for you. Okay, starting off with our very first author, Phyllis Whitley in the year 1773. She published a book of poetry. Her poems were published three years before America gained its independence actually. And the subject matter, quote unquote, is as the American Revolution gained strength, Whitley's writing turned to themes and expressed ideas of rebellious colonists. Her poetry expressed Christian themes, and many poems are dedicated to famous figures, and the remainder being on classical and abstract themes. Whitley's was uh, determined as a Black poet to show that Black authors, Black people, 
were just as capable in artistic expression as any other person, any, as any other white person in particular. So she wanted to really show that, yes, we are also educated enough to write poetry and be be very intellectual in this way. And poetry is like the being the first ever thing published. It's, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know about this. So even I learned a lot. So there you go. If you need no, Ellen, nobody else learned something, didn't know about this, then there you go. Because I had no idea. I don't know if you knew Mansa. No, I didn't. And she was yeah. like, the more I read about her, the more um, her story is very fascinating. And I would definitely encourage people to look into it more. Um, yes. Yes, it's really cool that it's uh, we can trace back work as far as, you know, late 18th century. So, yeah. So the next era that we wanted to really touch on, um, which is a prominent era, is the Harlem Renaissance. Um, and this is taking place. This took place between the end of World War One, which is 1918, and the onset of the Great Depression and leading up to World War Two during the 1930s. Um, and one of the first figures of this movement um, in literature is Zora Neale Hurston, uh, one of my favorite authors. Um, she is remembered as a key figure uh, during this uh, era. And um, Zora Neale Hurston's essay collections on American Black folk life, history, politics, and culture. Uh, they have provided a lot of insight into her philosophy and personality. Um, apart from that, she wrote four novels, more than 50 short stories, a lot of plays, um, and had many magazine publications, um, which she created alongside her friends in Harlem. Um, and, you know, one of the things about her work is that it actually slid into obscurity for a large amount of time, um, especially uh, specifically for both cultural and political reasons. Um you know, some of the things that the critics were saying about her work was the use of the African-American dialect directly in the writing and um, the dialogue between the characters. And this kind of made her less popular during the time. Some other younger writers felt that it was was demeaning to use such dialect, uh, given the racially charged history of dialect fiction in American literature. But thinking like a folklorist, Hurston strove to represent speech patterns of the period. Um, and that is what she had really incorporated into her work. And she documented that through ethnographic research. And, you know, a lot of her work became more prominent during the late 20th century when um, people started to actually praise um, her language and her dialogue. When Alice Walker published an article in 1975 uh, known as In Search of Zora Neale Hurston. So that was kind of a turning point when her work started to become um, more recognizable amongst uh, critics of literature. Um, and her most notable work is Their Eyes Were Watching God, which was uh, published in 1937. This was a book that I actually read in high school. And I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of fiction I think I've ever read. Um, and it is true. Her language is so nuanced and it, it's, it is almost like a, it is very poetic, um, and I would definitely recommend for people to check out this book because it's an incredible story. Um, yeah, that's Zora Neale Hurston, an incredible woman. Yeah. And our next author is actually also part of the Harlem Renaissance time, uh, Langston Hughes. And he's actually recognized and known as the inventor of jazz poetry. I didn't even know that was a thing. So basically jazz poetry is something that mimics jazz music's flow and rhythm. That's how it's best described. And one of his most famous jazz poems is The Weary Blues. So he's been basically called the poet of the people because his depictions of what he saw was happening around him about black culture and about just his everyday life. 
he wrote uh, about what was happening around him in the world, inspired others to basically be, be proud of being Black. And throughout his lifetime, he's won multiple awards, literary awards um, for his poetry, for his essays, for all his literary work, uh, including the Interconglomerate Poetry Award in 1927, the Golden Harmon Award in 1930, and just multiple awards. And it's, it's very interesting. I've never actually heard of Langston Hughes much until I, I read about him in during the research. And you, like I said before, there's there's so many significant figures out there that just shaped literature that we didn't even know about because you don't learn about all of them in school or in university and mm-hmm. the more you know. Yeah, no, definitely. Langston Hughes, it, it's so crazy. I, it wasn't until we started to put our list of authors together that I remember the story that I read of his when I was in school, which was Thank You, Ma'am. And it's a short story that I would mm-hmm. definitely recommend people to check out. It's it's very easy to read. And I it, it, he's also such an incredible, you know, uh, pioneer of, like you said, jazz poetry, which, I, again, just something I never really knew about. So, yeah, very cool. Um, so the next era is it's not really an era on its own. It's more of an extension of the Harlem Renaissance, but it focuses on what we uh, what people in literature call urban realism. This is when there was a shift towards more politically engaged, socially critical realism and literature that many African-Americans demanded of um, stories at the time. Um, And these works exhibited true to life representation of African-American experiences. And to an extent, like I said earlier, it was a continuation of what uh, a lot of the writers were already doing during the Harlem Renaissance. Um, And the first author that we wanted to discuss during this urban realistic movement is James Baldwin. Um, And James Baldwin is known for his essays on race, class, and sexuality. Um, He also continued to write novels and plays later into his life. And one of the most amazing things about James Baldwin was he was a champion and a leading voice of the American Civil Rights Movement. As one of the few openly gay Black activists of this era, He also fought for LGBTQ rights alongside the rights of African-Americans. And Baldwin was a leader amongst many writers who wanted to kind of move fiction towards this renewed search for personal meaning um, and redemption. That's something that a lot of writers were trying to um, find within their own style. Um, And this happened during a time when the United States had believed its victory in World War II was kind of this vindication for expelling racial injustices when you know, in reality, the issue was just being ignored on many fronts at home itself. Um, And one of James Baldwin's most notable works is Giovanni's Room, which was published in 1957. And that's one of his first books. That's one of the first, that's one of the first books in general to comment on homosexuality at the time and also interracial relationships. And another work of his is Notes of a Native Son, which is a collection of 10 essays, um, which just outlined the impact of segregation on the lives of African-Americans throughout time. And yeah, it, I think he was... Well, I didn't actually know about James Walden that much. So again, the more you know, there's so many... I, I always knew um, in him in passing. Like you would hear the name and you know exactly. that he's a prominent exactly. figure of literature, but you never really knew, or you could never really pinpoint the work that um, he wrote. And to kind of, again, while we're doing research, to, to, to dig deep and to see like the things that these people stood for is really incredible so yeah James Baldwin is an incredible figure of this urban realism movement for sure and then next we move on to the black arts movement 
which is at the onset of the civil rights era, which engaged in cultural nation building by including sponsored poetry readings, founding of community theaters, creating literary magazines, and setting up small presses. So during this time, we also saw an expanding presence of Black women's experience and expression of traditions in African writing. This fostered what has been termed the Black America, Black women's literary renaissance of the 1970s. And one of the women in the during this era was Toni Morrison, which is one of the authors that I has been on my radar for years and I have never, I own a couple of books from her, but I've never actually like picked it up and now is the right time to do it as mm -hmm. ever. So Toni Morrison was actually the first Black woman to win the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1993. I did not know that. And she also was the first Black woman uh, to be an editor at Random House. Wow, mm. that's really cool. Very cool. And her first, yeah, her first ever novel was The Bluest Eye, which you probably may have seen. I've seen this book uh, floating around Bookstagram and around. And again, mm -hmm. another one of both the books on my TBR. And her other, uh, some of her notable books are Beloved, which is one of her most, most famous ones, which won a Pulitzer Prize for fiction. And of course, there's also Song of Solomon, among many others. She has many, many uh, works out there that I'm sure are all really good because I've read snippets and excerpts here and there, and her writing is phenomenal. Yeah, I, I can definitely attest to that. She's been one of those writers that I, like you said, has been on your radar. I've been seeing a lot of her work and I've been wanting to um, take a closer look at it. Another author that's part of the Black Arts Movement and this uh, Black woman's literary renaissance is Maya Angelou. Um, and she is um, a household name. Uh, I think everybody who, you know, is very familiar with poetry knows Maya Angelou. Uh, she's She's the author of seven autobiographies, along with several books of poetry and essays, and she's had a profound effect on the dialogue around race in America. Um, and most of her celebrated works have been labeled autobiographical fiction, but many critics actually consider them to be autobiographies um, in general. Um, her most notable work is I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which was published in 1969. And it's a tale of her personal strength amid childhood trauma and racism. And this resonated with a lot of readers. And this book was later nominated for the National Book Award. Um, and actually, many schools have sought to unfortunately ban the book for its frank depiction of sexual abuse, but it is credited with helping many abuse survivors tell their stories. So Maya Angelou is an incredible figure of um, this uh, Black literature in general. Oh, definitely. She's definitely one of those people that um, is talked about a lot in school. So that's where yes. I'm sure you've ever heard it, too. She's one of the and I'm glad they talked about her because she her life is her, her life was just very, very interesting, to say the least. She's okay. been through a lot. She's been through a lot in her life. So, yeah, no, definitely. Maya Angela is, I think any everybody can say that she's an inspiration, just in general. Not just in, I'm just saying, literature, but just overall history. She's she's done a lot. Yeah. Our next uh, author is one I have been eyeing for a while, and I have a couple of books. She's, in fact, I actually started one of her books just a few days ago, Octavia E. Butler, and she is considered the pioneer of um, the first woman ever in, uh, a first Black woman ever in sci-fi literature, science fiction literature. Uh, she was the first ever sci-fi writer to ever get the MacArthur Foundation Fellowship, actually, which is really interesting. Um, and our central message in her books warns like the world about uh, where it is heading in the context of climate change, women's rights, political disparity. One of her very notable works is Kindred, which was published in 
1979. It is about an African-American writer living in a modern day time who time travels back to pre-Civil War Maryland, where slavery was still legal. So the book explores like the horrors of slavery from modern perspective, and she had begun to solidify her place in the science fiction genre since then. Um, just because it's it tells a story, such a, like a, a horrible story, but from like a science point of view, along with a lot of like logic, much morals, like how is it morally wrong? But she introduces the aspect of science fiction, just science in general, and just and it's it's her. I read a couple of experts of her writing, and I can say that it's it's amazing, and I think it's also a little horrifying, a little mm. got or because there's a lot of gruesome gruesomeness but it'll make you feel uncomfortable but that's the point because the subject and the themes of these books are so they're real they're they're yeah. meant to make you uncomfortable they're meant to make you kind of squirm and also almost feel nauseous because so she says it how it is it's not something that people should forget and how she says it in like this like dystopian world she wrote these books like years ago they're like they're, they're decades old but they're timeless you can like read them now and think like like the word the world we're living in now it's still like relevant what she said back then. Well, I mean, I've also seen how a lot of what she has written in some ways has come true in this political climate, um, right. and it's just like she was just such a keen observer. I think of a lot of um, social issues and the direction in which they were heading, mm-hmm. um, which is really it's really scary too. Because I was I was telling you this earlier when I was like when we were talking about her I was like dude reading her book like reading what her book is about it made me feel so uncomfortable because like and to do it I think science fiction is like the greatest genre to explore that dystopian type of theme and extending mm-hmm. um what could potentially happen and mm-hmm. a lot of the themes that she's like you know explored like you said is very uh rooted in reality yes yeah, those are all the authors that we put together that were just part of history throughout history. But we do have a couple of more authors. There's just some newer authors, like young adult authors that we wanted to give like a notable mention to because we don't see them that much on Bookstagram or on social media because they don't get the recognition that they deserve. So, so that's why we want to just point some out. So like, for example, Jake uh, N.K. Jameson, she's the author of um, the fifth season uh, uh, series. It's a science fiction series. And she always says that she takes inspiration from Octavia Butler because she's a really good science fiction writer. I read the fifth season series. It's really, really good. So I completely recommend any of her books. There's Tomi um, Adeyemi. She is the author of Children of Blood and Bone, which is a yeah, YA fantasy. And it's one of the best YA fantasies I've ever read in a long time. It came out a few years ago. And I remember it being quite popular because it was very... It was very different. There's romance in it. There's like just very, very rich world building. And I remember reading it and thinking like, I've never read anything like this. And I think it needs to have like a revival because you know how these books are having revivals again, like books that were released like 10 years ago and they're just coming back. Yeah. I don't see books of like people of color, of black authors having those revivals. So I think we need to bring them back. So sure. please do I mean, that's why we're here to bring the recognition. And next we have Angie Tom Angie Thomas, which is author, who is author of The Hate You Give. And again, that was also one of the books that just kind of took the world by storm because it was about a police shooting, a police brutality, um, and it was a story of like a young man who gets shot by the police like mistakenly. It was uh, it was an uncomfortable, very very depressing novel to read, but it was real, mm-hmm. and it's probably one of the best. And it's it's a young adult book. And 
it, it's, uh, I can't even explain. I have, I, I just would say that just read it. You'll understand what goes through people's minds, like from the perspective of a black person, how of their parents, of like the friend or a girlfriend, like how what they feel when someone you love goes through this. It was very, very raw, very real. And another one is Tracy Dion, which I, Monsa, looking at you here, she is the <laughs> author of Legendborn, which has become my personality this past year. I freaking love this series so much. Only two, book, two of the books are out, Legendborn and Bloodmark. But again, one of the best YA fantasy I have ever read in my life. It's so good. The writing is so good. The characters are so good. And again, they need these books need to get more recognition, which they don't. And if you're more of a romance contemporary, like you want like some lighter reads, there's Denise Williams, who is um, who has written some rom-coms, for example, The Fastest Way to Fall, which I read last year and I loved it. It's the perfect rom-com. It features a, um, a black woman and just it's a, it's, it's a, such a cute, like just like heartfelt, like rom-com. I loved it. And then also Talia Hibbert, she wrote some bangers like some really good rom-coms like for example get a life chloe brown the brown oh, sister yeah yeah get a life chloe brown take a hit danny brown so basically like each each book is about a sister and they're so good they're so good i only read one of them i read get a life chloe brown and i loved it i absolutely loved it it was yeah like, yeah, yeah. Man, i know that book <laughs> man written by a woman for sure i loved it the love interest i loved it so yeah i would truly recommend hers and if you want like a poetry collection um, recently, this actually um, Amanda Gorman. She won the Goodreads Award for Best Poetry. I love her. Call I us love. what we carry. And I read some of the poems, and they are they're good to say. Oh my god, Amanda Gorman. She's one of those people. The first time that I think uh, the world really kind of got to know her was at uh, President Biden's inauguration when she um, spoke her poem, uh, "The Hill We Climb." I think that's mm, what it was yeah. called. And it's like, I was just so amazed by her and moved. And she's so young. It's so amazing to see people in our age bracket doing the things that they're doing. Uh, I love Amanda Gorman. She's one of my favorite poets. I want to buy her book. I really do. Her poetry book. And I'm so glad that she's getting the recognition she deserves. (laughs) So those are all the authors we wanted to just talk about. But there are so many more. And again, like I said, we'll have them in the description box where you can read more, do your own research, um, just look into their lives and look into the, into the importance of reading diversely, just reading about the, the past, the history, even though it's long gone, it's been hundreds of years, maybe decades that these things happen. It's still important to this day, even in the future, to remember and to just recognize what has happened. And I think these are the best authors. Like some, some of the stuff we talked about, like uh, Toni Morrison, Octavia Butler, they, they're, their writing is so good. If you just want to look, like read about them uh, because of their writing, you can even do that. Because I know sometimes those topics are not very easy to read. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, um, I think what's so cool about like these like newer authors, too, is that Especially with like, if if someone as young as Amanda Gorman, right? Like, I think it's making having somebody as young as her kind of uh, write poetry and publish it. It's giving it like greater access to younger people. Like when they see maybe somebody else who's just as young as they are, uh, they might want to reach out and see what this is about, what she's writing Mm -hmm. about. Um, Maybe they relate to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just think that's like the coolest thing about a lot of um, 
you know, having such um, young people in this uh, list too is really cool. While doing this research, was there like one figure that like really stood out to you? Like, like really kind of um, was someone that you were? Yes. Uh, James Baldwin, actually. I did not know he was openly gay during that time. Yeah. And he was actually, yeah. I, I did not know that. And I was so, I'm so glad I learned that. I, that was so interesting to learn. Yeah, for me, I was going to say James Baldwin, too. James Baldwin, like I said earlier, like he was just somebody I had, you know, had come to know him in passing. Um, and to kind of just read so much more into like what he he worked towards um, trying to convey in his essays and um, especially being an activist during that time, being LGBTQ, being the first to write about taboo uh, topics as interracial marriage and homosexuality. Like, I think those two things uh, were just unheard of. And he's such an interesting person. No, definitely. So what do you think, like, why do you think this overview of this evolution of Black literature, why do you think is that, that it's important? How do you think it has changed over time? I, you know, I, with history, I think we just assume, like you said earlier, that it's long gone. I think that's why it's important when we continue to look back in history to just not forget that the problem still exists in some form today. Yeah. And literature kind of gives us this medium to um, explore and learn about it in a more personal way when you're connecting to a character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost easier to understand, I I think, at least. No, you're, you're so right. Yeah. And everybody has a different way of approaching and understanding things. And the fact that we've, we've branched out, like, you know, throughout history, um, for example, like Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou, they kind of, uh, they went about it in like a literary way. Yeah. In like essays, in uh, autobiographies. And those were like really great because they really like, there's more like truth or to it, like a reality to it because they mm. are, Mm-hmm. very they're very much non-fiction more than fiction or science fiction right they're but, able to establish mm-hmm. like this personal connection directly with yeah. the reader and I think that's what yeah. makes their work carry for so long is because mm-hmm. of that connection that they've you know implemented in their work yes yes exactly but like nowadays people want people just don't want to straight up read a history book which I understand because yeah. I'm like the same I would love like I love to have like I don't like straight up reading like fantasy I would love truth to it like I want truth to it mm-hmm. that's why I love Tracy Dion so much because I she I think she did an exceptional job is she wrote basically um her book is about um Legendborn it's about the myth of King Arthur but there's also the theme or the story about how it you know b- back then like the historic part which is slavery how that mm-hmm. uh, relates to slavery and how these white kings and queens or where they treated they had slaves back then like during this time period of like king arthur merlin and all that so people some people understand it like that they need like some story so they can Mm -hmm. themselves interested or they can relate to it or something like that like having these different types of like mediums or you know movies like films like it's like added in films or podcasts or songs Mm -hmm. music any any type of medium so the fact that the evolution has like branched out in so many different forms, different ways, different genres, it's it's good. It's a step forward, definitely. But I think that it also comes, you know, along with that being now that we're so like, you know, we're in the future now, there is a little bit of, I guess, like this weight kind of lifted off people of color, especially black people. They're accepted now, but there's still this pressure 
this underlying pressure of being an author of color, a black author, a brown author, that you have to cater to a non POC POC audience that yeah. you have to make sure like they relate to it, or there's just this pressure that like we have to work. 10 times or like five, 50 times is harder or we have to try 50 times as harder as a white person or a white author to get there. And we see that like it's there and it's, it's still, like, even if they work hard, like we see it on social media, like we see it on like book talk. We don't see mm-hmm. people of, like, you know, authors of colors, books um, being as marketed on book talk or on, on bookstagram as we do with white authors. And you, you know what I'm who I'm talking about like there's yeah, a couple like four that. white authors that like just, just keep repeating like the same picture like the same pictures of the books that we see like all the time and yeah there is this pressure of being a POC author definitely yeah and, and that comes know? that comes on all fronts right when you think about mm-hmm. when you look at the publishing statistics and the publishing houses and um the specific number of authors who are POC um mm-hmm. I think that's like really reflective of how long we still have to go. Um, yeah. And that the pressure of trying to break out of that, to break out of um, this, I think that the pressure comes from a lot of it is that because I, I think it's a lot to do with um, to succeed in the field, we have to be exceptional. Yeah. Like our, our ticket through the door, right, is to be exceptional. And exactly. there's just no room for mediocrity. The same way that mediocrity is almost accepted for white people, it's not the same for people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, and th- that's where it's like the authors just are not given the same leniency. And mm-hmm. I think that's when it starts to really affect, affect creativity. Um, mm-hmm. But I do feel like now you know, outside of just solely exploring just themes of uh, struggle, you do see people trying to step outside of that and define themselves outside of that, right? Like stepping into genres like romance, comedy. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's where you see, like when we're talking about, you know, we talked about uh, Black literature uh, till the civil rights movement, but when we're talking about the shift today, there are authors who do want to implement that struggle and mm-hmm. expose it in a, a way that it's still relevant today. But to also step into these new genres of comedy and romance, I think mm-hmm. it's just, um, it's also there, there should be a space for them. And I think uh, that pressure is still not being alleviated the way that it, it can be. No, no, definitely. And I know like this, this, we're not trying to like, I wanted to give this disclaimer before, but we always talk about how you should read diversely and like throughout the year, not just in the month of where when it's appropriate, when it's like, for example, it's like February, it's Black History Month, or it's like, you know, it's Asian Heritage Month. You should be reading diverse. You should, your TBR should be very diverse throughout the year, throughout your entire life we're not trying to like be like performative here, but we wanted to just dedicate one full episode to just talk about this because the subject is so important just throughout history and in literature too, because that's, we're so passionate about that. So yeah. I just wanted to put that out there that um, please don't be like, do, do the performative um, being woke and yeah. saying that like, yeah, it's Black History Month or it's Asian Heritage Month. So I'm reading these books. You should be reading them all, all throughout the year. Yes. which is what we wanted to like point out and which is yeah. what we wanted to just really point out in this episode 
Definitely. And it's interesting because we rewrote this episode like three times, right? Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> we would write something and we'd be like, that's not enough. This is too much. Or like, it's honest to God, like we... The reason we 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 recorded like so many times too, <laughs> but that's because it really like to us it means a lot. And I mm-hmm. and I think um this isn't like you said. I think it's very easy to be performative. And I think yeah. when when you do have a month designated to to something, um mm-hmm. that uh the performative aspect of it, it tends to take a lot of um social media by storm mm-hmm. because that's what people are doing. Um, but I think it's just as long as you're participating in the conversation, I think that's what's uh, always important, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. So that's why we wanted to do this episode. And it's our first, uh, like, back a few months after we started this podcast. So obviously, we wanted to just dedicate a whole episode to this. And yeah. we will be doing it, like, continue, continue doing it because it just deserves and we'll be doing it one for, one for Asian Heritage Month or just, like, going on because these they're they're there for a reason just to point out the importance of these months not just to say that oh it's this month or only we should talk about it this month no I think it's yeah. dedicated their months are dedicated their days are dedicated so we can only give the importance I mean they deserve all the importance during that month like like that's what I mean yeah no I, I think that's also like kind of the reason why we do author profiles right like yeah that's one of the reasons why I think we even started that segment was because we wanted to kind of explore more, have more avenues to explore people of color. For sure. That's why we also curated like a really specific list of different genres of uh, books and poetry recommendation by black authors. And we'll have them in the description box. There's many. And if you guys have any for us, please, please do reach out to us on any of our socials on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter at the late night book because we are always looking for recommendations, especially by authors of colors. Please, please do. We're always, we always want them. Oh my God, um, definitely. Yeah. Yes. And educate yourselves as we are educating ourselves. I think it's learning and educating yourself. It's not like a one day thing or it's a one-time thing. It's throughout your life. You need to do it. So that's yeah. why we wanted to emphasize and we have, we'll have all the resources that we used below in the description box. So you can also take a look at it and learn for yourselves. So that was our episode for today. We really hope you uh, enjoyed it. You liked it. And please feel free to reach out to all our of our socials. Like I mentioned before, um, if you have anything to add, if we need to learn, if you want to teach us anything else, please just slide into our DMs and lecture us all you want yeah um, yeah and yeah and also I do want to give another shout out we do have a little um forum if you will on our Instagram at the late night book nook where it's called letters I will never send we just started this recently and it's basically if you want to get something off your chest you want to write a letter to something that you someone or something that you'll never send but you do want to just kind of put it out there in the universe you can send it and it's completely anonymous you don't have to put your name down you can, you can just send it and then uh, if you want we can you can even like mention the thing if you want like we if you want us to read it out aloud in an episode we can even do that so it's like out in the universe or maybe it's like a manifesting thing you want like spoken out in the universe we can do that yeah, if you yeah. want it to stay completely anonymous we can do that as well we just want you to feel free to just talk about anything and it's on our podcast and you can find the form there perfect so yeah that was uh it for today um have a good day good night whenever you're listening to this i'm your host harshita i'm Melissa, 
And this has been the Late Night Book Nook. Bye!